You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom. Every episode we try to pick through the rubble of the increasingly noisy collision between entertainment technology and media to find some of the golden gems and other bits of wisdom and knowledge we can glean from it all and about where things are and where they're going. This past weekend, I spent Saturday at the Produced By Conference, which is held every year, hosted by the Producers Guild of America. This year was on the lot at Warner Brothers in Burbank, and it drew some really crackerjack speakers talking about a wide array of issues from very technical questions that uh, matter about what new technologies are doing in terms of how we create this stuff to how the streamers are affecting the way we finance and structure stories and all that. Producers aren't always well understood by people outside of Hollywood, but they're really important inside the town in terms of actually getting projects done. They're the ones that find the interesting material and help shape it by working with writers. They're the ones that put together the financing. They're the ones that put together the teams of directors and cinematographers and crew and cast and make it all go. And then they have to oversee the project all the way through until it gets delivered to a studio or some other distributor for getting seen on your screen, whatever that screen is, whether it's a theater, a video screen, a phone, or somewhere in between. This uh, weekend, I had some really big-name folks speaking. I loved this panel between Nancy Myers, who is a longtime director of romantic comedies and a real master of it, Nancy wrote films like Irreconcilable Differences and Private Benjamin, then went on to become a producer and director of a lot of romantic comedies, like Something's Gotta Give, and It's Complicated, and both were, I think, uh, iconic films in that genre, which has got way too many films that are a little bit lightweight and formulaic. She's never that. And she sat down with Mindy Kaling, the next generation uh, creator, writer, director, performer, unlike Nancy, she's actually in front of the screen. You know her from the Mindy Kaling Project. The day they spoke, the previous night, her newest film, Late Night, which she wrote, directed, produced, and stars in, debuted, also featuring not just her, but John Lithgow and the inimitable Emma Thompson as a late night Uh, host and the challenges she faces. Mindy is in the writer's room. That film uh, debuted uh, only, as they say, in a limited run in front of four on four theater screens, but uh, generated a very admirable $61,000 per screen. So there's some definite interest there. You can expect that to expand quickly as the show picks up. It's from Amazon Studios, so eventually it will be available, presumably, online after it goes through whatever ladders of distribution Amazon does these days. Two of them had lots to talk about as female creators and producers and people at the very highest levels of Hollywood, and I think it's a delightful conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. First, however, let's hear from our sponsor so that we can pay some bills. We'll be right back. And now on to the first part of the conversation between Mindy Kaling and Nancy Myers about women in Hollywood creating films and TV shows and much else and doing really great stuff. It's fantastic. Give a listen. Director, writer, and producer of films such as The Intern, It's Complicated, Something's Gotta Give, and The Holiday. Nancy Myers. You know her from the Mindy Project. Isn't that a great title? And The Office. Just to name a few, and now she's the writer, producer, and star of her new film that premiered last night, Late Night. And that's all I have to do. It's all up to you now. 
Thank you for being here, guys. Really appreciate it. Does this work? Do you hear us? Yes. Room of producers. Thank you for being here. We keep hearing how much the Michael Douglas session killed. Yeah. Positively slayed. We keep hearing, but no pressure. No pressure. So I'm going to start off. I want to congratulate you on writing a great movie, which I saw, and I highly recommend. I'm Instagramming about it today when I go home. Thank you, everybody. Go to my I don't know, she's the one that has millions of people. So she wrote it, she stars in it, and she produces it. So um, I guess my first question for you is how do you get, uh, let me uh, how did you get your script from something in your head into your computer to the arc light? Uh, the answer is that it's really fucking hard. Yes, and you know this. It's an independent movie, and um, coming from TV, where you you write something and then six weeks later it's on screen. I mean, this movie's journey was so it was like a roller coaster. And um, did you did you find that it was? Did you have the patience for it? No, absolutely not. No, I did not. And it made me really respect producers, particularly producers of independent film. Of, of course, I'm, I'm assuming there's many of you who do this. And uh, I had a massive learning curve. Because there was times when the movie was not going to happen at all. It was first bought by Fox 2000. We had a different director. We had a different, uh, a, a, a huge budget. And then they gave the movie back to me. I got pregnant. We had to delay it. There was, so it was... Um, it was really something, and I knew at filmmaking, so I made the poor decision of like riding the wave of that emotionally, which I, I think I won't do again. With those what does that mean? When there was a win, like, oh, great, Reed Scott's schedule is going to work out. Like, these like, little wins for the, for the shooting. Or, we got uh, John Lithgow's dates to work out. You really feel great. And then when there's something terrible, like, weather is going to make it so we can't do an exterior we wanted to this do. This is making a movie. Yeah, it's making a movie. But it, it, was, um, it was endless. It lasted, uh, it lasted years of my life, and it aged me tremendously. Uh, but there is this, I think Guillermo del Toro said that the... He said that the saddest journey is one that takes a precise itinerary because then you're not a traveler, you're a tourist. Yeah. And that is something that when I was sort of in the pits of despair about this, I really thought, okay, I hope that's true because I am such a fucking traveler at this point. <laughs> it, was, it was just extremely you think next time you're not going to feel the highs and the lows? I, I mean, I'm, I'm so much older than you. I still... Every time it's oh it's a disaster. This is the greatest. Yeah. It's gonna happen. Outrage, gratitude, outrage, gratitude. That is just what filmmaking was. But uh, before we continue uh, on, I just wanted to say, and I I I put to this room how honored I feel that you were even sitting with me. Like oh. 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 constantly hear oh you know movies that star. Women, women with a point of view, women of means, they don't make money, they're, uh, you know, critics don't like them. Your movies are continually, make so much money, and everybody loves them. And you're always the, the one person that all of female filmmakers who are starting out say, we can always point to you to say, no, it can be done. Yeah. That is... I have a strong will, I persevere, and I try to block out the noise. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's... And when I... And then when romantic comedies dried up, I had the Mindy Project. <laughs> <laughs> and really, I, you know, it's like, I, I never I never miss an episode. I'm such a big fan. Yeah. Because she really loves the genre and does it in a great way. Mm -hmm. And her character is so original. Because mm -hmm. I've never seen... And, and same with her movie, Late Night. Very original character. Mm -hmm. A heroine you've not seen before. Two heroines you haven't seen before. Yes. Actually, anyway, I didn't finish my question. Oh, you did. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah. So I know it takes a village, but uh, to make a movie, your movie, any movie. Um, but I'm curious what you think were some of the best decisions you made to make it happen, um, and any advice on maybe what not to do, and maybe that's not ride the wave so much. But, well, I don't think anybody can do that. But I mean, the best thing that happened in the movie is also the thing I'll never repeat, which is I wrote the movie for Emma Thompson, who is really incredible in the film and so funny and in a role that I've not seen her do 
and I've not seen a lot of women of her age be able to do recently. Um, and that was uh, also something I might not do again because it was very it's very risky to write a role for someone that where only she can play it. And if you see the movie, you'll see that really only she could play it. This movie I wrote it for a British comedian who was a late night talk show host of a certain age. So there's not that many people. Well, I've been niche. Yeah, but I think it's great to have somebody in mind when you're writing. Yeah, because you get them. You got them. You write. You write some dramatic kids. You're like, I'm there. For Jack Nicholson, I never met the man. You know, and I only had him in my mind. And when you make Private Benjamin, people will. Background extra money and not having enough, and then thinking maybe we can tile this 
And yeah, no, and the Hallie's terrible. We had a scene just like this, except the last 15 rows were all dummies. Dennis <laughs> 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 Bergen was in the movie, and she walked down the aisle, and she said, what are those things? Those wigs are all sideways. <laughs> I said, we're not lighting them. I hope that you won't be able to tell. <laughs> oh, my turn, yes. Um, <laughs> All right, uh, so I'm going to ask you something about the marketing of your movie. Um, as this was your first experience in marketing a feature that was a female-driven comedy with substance, and if there's substance, by the way, they call it a dramedy, uh, which I find confusing, because comedies can certainly have substance. But anyway, I wonder if you've had any experiences uh, similar to mine, but I'd like to hear what it was like for you when they said, okay, you made this movie, you wrote this movie, you produced this movie, now we're gonna, this is how we're going to sell it. How'd that go? <laughs> I'm so opinionated. I mean, Amazon was such great partners in the film because it is a movie, a movie made for not very much money, but we tried to make it look like a really beautiful yeah. movie, like we didn't make it. And, and I think uh, the reason why we chose them and the, the financiers chose them is because of their sort of shared vision. I mean, when I was making this, right now I feel that the... Uh, the main like um, journey of comedy or the through line of comedy right now is a um, kind of a sloppy improvisational feel with grown-ups who are um, acting a little bit younger than they actually are and trying to get their shit together. And my favorite... A little bit younger. She's so politically correct. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot younger. Um, and actually, I'm not a snob about comedy. I really, truly love all comic movies and I find something... Uh, in a lot of them that's a value as a writer. But my taste is fused towards the 80s, 90s. Like, I love the Mike, Mike Nichols movies, the Nancy Myers movies, the Nora Ephron movies, Jane Bell Brooks, the movies where people are professionals, they dress well, they have their shit together, they go into a professional environment with ambition, and they want something, and they are funny about their about what they want. It's amazing, and you still got good reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, and I don't get to see them that much. So when I was doing this movie, I that was sort of across the board. The producers knew that, uh, the actors knew that's what we, what we wanted, and all the heads of departments knew that, which is really important that this was not going to be a movie where I was shouting out improv lines or telling my director to like let them have you know free passes because we had 25 days to shoot <laughs> and we didn't have time wow. for that. Wow. And the budget was not that of some of the movies that kind of get to do that. And so, I, I geez, this is a long-winded way of answering your question. When you got to marketing, yeah. When you got to marketing, they knew that we wanted it to be a crisp, rich-looking movie, even though it was not, it was not rich, as I said. It was, he made it a fraction of the price of some of the movies. Yeah, but there were issues where they wouldn't, I found, obviously for myself, it's just a repetitive situation that if there's a scene where somebody's not being particularly funny, mm -hmm. I have to beg for those moments. Mm -hmm. And you just show that there's more to the movie than that. Because I think that's ultimately what makes people remember them and come back and mm -hmm. tell that's their friends about it. You're saying that... They tend to show only the comedy only and the, the comedy. broadest comedy. Mm -hmm. oh, that's just to make sure everybody knows it's a comedy because then men will come. Oh, that's... that's and your movie stars two women. Right. I mean, make sure men will come, make sure you show all the comedy, and if you show she's crying, or she's in a fight with some, whatever, a more dramatic moment, mm -hmm. they, you know, I have to beg for those, generally. Mm -hmm. I, I faced um, a little bit of a different problem with this, because in talking about the movie with Emma, and we did so many of these junkets, it's inherently such a political film because it stars a woman who is uh, 59 years old, and an Indian American woman who is you know, in her late 30s when we shot the movie, and I thought, <laughs> I, yes, I look at the movie and I, everyone asks the same questions about like intersectional feminism and workplace inequity, and it just starts feeling like we did a, like a boring docudrama, <laughs> and like, no, this is a hard comedy, like I come from a like, hard comedy world with, like, with comedy and jokes, and I, I feel like I don't want people to think that I have like an activist hat on when I wrote this because I don't necessarily think you can make a truly funny film if it's just people being polemical. So I I actually was like, okay, let's make sure people know that this is just, you know, you're not going to go get preached at, that this is actually like a funny, a funny workplace movie. Um, so yeah. that's good. That's great. That's good. <laughs> no, it is. That is.
but it, but your movie does have a, a strong sense of itself and what it wants to say, and it, and it does have a message, which is nothing to. Great, and, and I'm proud of I'm proud of that. Of course, and you can't leave her movie without feeling it and and becoming more aware. And also, you know, not only your character is great, but hers is also. I can't remember seeing a woman sort of near retirement age and what her job means to her, mm -hmm. what her work life has meant to her, in the way I've seen it there. You're so ambitious, which I I love because I am so ambitious and have been since you know a little kid, and, and I like movies where women are worried about, seeing movies where women are worried about that. And mm -hmm. believe me, I love romantic comedies and romance, but it was a cathartic to write about something different. Um, all right, here's my question for you. What TV okay. shows or films are out there that you love that might surprise us? For example, I detest reality shows, which no one believes about me. And <laughs> I love the show Bosch, which is a dad show if I ever have heard of one. I've never heard of Bosch. Oh, excellent show. Yeah. So you've never seen a housewife show? Right? <laughs> I, I've never seen one. I feel like people yeah. always show them to me. They're like, oh, you love this. And I'm like, what about my personality? So that, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But um, I, I like cultural osmosis. Like, of course, I know who Lisa Vanderpump is because everyone talks about her. But I don't, I don't necessarily watch I wouldn't her. know what she was saying. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, well, the show that I've been... Um, that I've just finished watching that I think is brilliant is Fleabag, season two. Incredible, incredible. She's an original voice like you have. She's so clever, so smart, so surprising. She, she always makes a, a left turn. You know, I, I pride myself in predicting what's going to happen one second later after I'm watching anything. And she always surprises me, you know. She has this great bit. I don't, have you seen it? No, no. Okay, well, this will explain what. Uh, well, anyway. <laughs> but uh, I, I, uh, you know, I, I think that show's kind of groundbreaking and it's just great. Great. I love it. I like. Not a surprise, but I would like to probably say. I, I love Phoebe, uh, Phoebe's performance style, and what I also love is that in her writing, there's never a bad part, no matter how small it is. Oh, Every part nice. is funny. Uh, even if someone's in two episodes, and I find that on Killing Eve as well, that she's just mm -hmm. there. There's yeah, I like Killing Eve also. Um, but then every smaller part, even if they're not series regulars or whatever, they all have their very funny and layered. Well, know. the guy in Fleabag season two, the yeah. priest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I went into some kind of Google rabbit hole after. <laughs> <laughs> Who is he? Why have I never seen him? I just mm -hmm. thought he left off that screen. I thought he was amazing. Okay, my turn. Um, what do you, the, the, your movie had uh, quite a few, yeah? No, I, I just wanted to make sure we're on track. I'm, yeah, I'm, where do we look to know? I know, where do, who is the person we look to to know? Just yell. There you are. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> just yell to um, I saw there were quite a few producers on your movie, and since you're all, I assume, want to be producing films. <laughs> Um, what do you look for in a producer as an actress and as a writer? Well, they're really two different distinct needs, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. the, the best producers that I found on the film were ones that were able to take things off of my plate when I was acting mm -hmm. so that I didn't focus on producing. Mm -hmm. That if I was talking about dailies or the fact of some unshootable day that we had coming up, that they would say, maybe don't worry about that, focus on the scene. Um, as a writer, I thought uh, it was really wonderful for producers to um, to have a preemptive attitude about things, like to come to me and say, hey, we have a 16-hour day, we're never going to make it. Uh, these are the, the cuts I thought we could make, or we could put this on another day that no one ever presented me with problems without a solution. And there's actually, there was four producers on our film, and the single biggest gift they gave me was that they were there every single day of shooting. Did they all have a different job for you? They all or a different strength? Um, did they all have a different job? No, they kind of all put the role. I mean, Howard Klein, was, who was one of the producers on it, was also my manager. So he left his family in LA and moved out to New York for two months to be there. So that was, and he was there every single day on set, and Jillian Hufflebaum, and uh, Ben Browning, they were all there, and I don't think they had done that in other films. <coughs> and 
to me, that was a really wonderful gift. Because if I couldn't be at Video Village, then they could, and they know my style and my taste so well that they could kind of report back to me. And then um, we had this wonderful associate producer, Heather Morris, who would help me with the actual writing stuff. Because every night, I don't know if you do this on a film, I looked at the next day's sides and thought, where could I, where could I punch up? What could I trim? Um, and she was... No, I, I don't do that. You don't do that? <laughs> yeah, well, she was really on the ground with me. No, Laura, I, I don't yeah. do that. I don't do that because I'm not as good a writer while I'm directing as I am in a room by myself. Hmm. Which is also why I don't like improvisation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to top hmm. what I... You know, listen, when you make a movie with Steve Martin, you know, you'd be a fool not to say, you want to try something, mm -hmm. you know. But he's, still, he's being a writer himself. He's the kind of guy that always says, tell me when you have it, when you totally love it, can I try something? He would never try, you know, and take one of it. But yeah, I, I, I think it's a Bible, the Bible, and I'm not going to mess with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't encourage others to mess with it either. Good for you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like you said. Yeah, that is 25 days, even if you have 80 days. Doesn't mean you want to spend any of them trying going up a million roads, but you, you just know after two seconds it's not good, and you have to be polite. The hardest thing was, I mean, you've worked with people like Adam Devine and all these great young improvisers mm -hmm. too, is that in our movie we have John Early and Paul Walter Hauser and Reed Scott who all come from shows like Search Party Reads that are so funny, but uh, the issue is, and they knew this too, is that when you're doing things that quickly, you can't, you're like, well, we have no reactions to this great line. And we don't have the time to shoot them. Right. So to me, that was the the, kind of the other. Also, you're such a good writer. Mm -hmm. Let it be. Thank you. I, I do think it's a thank you. That's so nice. I do think it's a nice um, it's a nice feeling. I, I, I do think it, it's it is nice when you can rely on that. But we just were not able to at all. And you could rely on your script. Well, no, no, no. We could rely on. So we couldn't rely on improv. Oh yeah. Or like you know, some of I think the funniest shows do have a. Definitely have that improvisational feel, but this just was not that movie. Yeah, but you also made a, a, a somewhat of a traditional film. It is traditional Hollywood movie, which right. feels and sounds a certain way. Yeah, it definitely does. And a good that's a good thing. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Do I ask you one or two? I, I think I think um, I talk so much. I don't know if I'm answering or. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's you. Me to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, maybe you just answer this. It, oh, well, I'm going to jump down to one. Other than the sexism, sexual harassment, and the pervasive boys club atmosphere of the past. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, do you ever wish that you were making movies back in the 80s and 90s when we were given big budgets, there was no Rotten Tomatoes, and our movies were allowed to play in theaters for months? You know, when my first movie, which I made for this studio, opened up, Private Benjamin, it opened in... Um, October, it left the theaters in March. Oh, wow. wow. That's a long that time. That was normal. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so the the yeah, true sort of sad point. answer to that question is I'm not sure that someone like me would have been able to make a movie back then with when the budgets were so big. I think the reason why people can take risks are now because they are, A, shamed into it by the <laughs> current political climate in Hollywood, yeah. and B, because they are on smaller budgets. You know, I think that so much... But this movie you just made would be a Warner Brothers movie 10 years ago. I'm right. not saying anything's wrong with Amazon. And thank God for them, really. Right. But this movie would be a, a big studio movie. I think that that while there would have been... I mean, so you would have had more than 25 days. We would have done more than 25 days, which would have been great. I think um, maybe this is because I'm an Indian woman working now. Big budgets, more days means... When you hear horror stories about being in filmmaker prison when something doesn't work, mm -hmm. to me, keeping the budgets really low is something that can protect you. Mm -hmm. And when you see success in people like Jordan Peele who made Get Out for $5 million, yeah. so right. you try to hedge any ways that you could not be successful so that you get to keep doing it. Now, maybe that's something that I will eventually graduate out of if I you will. ever attain the kind of modicum of success. You have, I maybe want to have that, but for now... And also, it, when you have more than 25 days, you can think and a little bit, you know what I mean? You can... No, it's true. And there are many scenes in the movie that we had to cut because of that. And mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I guess I watch it and I'm like, I wish we had that scene. Mm -hmm. And we had a scene that was set in London in 1980. And it's important, if I can add something, it's important that uh, you all know, and you know, 
also that when you're doing your schedule, secretly in your mind, you might know something that could go. Make sure you put that mm. at the end of your schedule, mm. right? So they're not, you don't run into a problem where you're at the point where they say, well, we, we can't, and that have, but the, I have to have that. You know what I mean? You don't want to be in that position. That's what I think. That's great. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. It's the yeah. sucker at the end. And then, <laughs> then when you give it up, you know, you Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> 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 
uh, I, it's not that I always see eye to eye with everyone, but I am at this point completely unafraid to say my opinion. I understand. Also, I believe I'm the one that knows. I believe I'm the one that knows, too. There we go. I think you can get things done. I think I know what's best for us. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm belligerent or I don't hear what they're saying. or If it's about, you know, you don't need something or why does it have to shoot it? Or why do you need to build a set or whatever? You know, I get the reasons, you know. But I, I listen also. I'm not someone who doesn't listen to other people. I like opinions. I love opinions. What is a lesson you've learned from someone in the industry that's less experienced than you are? Well, I learn so much from the young writers, particularly the young female writers who work on my shows. And um, so many of them, like, I look back to when I was their same age, and I'm always so impressed by them because they all come to the two minutes earlier as a guide and they stay later. Mm -hmm. And this one young woman who is a, a writer on my show, or one of my shows now, she, after a week of work, asked if she could talk to me for, for 10 minutes, and I said, sure, and we had a break in the writer's room, and she came over and she said, I just want to make sure that I'm doing a good job, and if there's anything you can tell me that I can do better, I'd really like to know. And I remember thinking, that is such a great quality. I would, I would pick her. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts me to ask something like that, because I think, especially in comedy writing and TV, you're supposed to be so confident, and if you know you aren't, you're supposed to pose very confident, which mm -hmm. is understandable because of the competition that you're facing. Mm -hmm. But for her to come to me and to say that, um, I thought was one of the, frankly, a very courageous thing to do. And I, I was like, I'm going to do that. I think I am going to do that in the future. If I'm, if I'm hired on something, it's, it's not bad to ask how you're doing. Yeah. 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 Can I say one other thing about that other question about your voice? Because Mindy and I have the advantage of having some experience and success behind us. And I think the question's really if you don't have that. Right. And, you know, even when I was very young and making my early move, early movies, I kind of understood this thing's going to be in my obituary. You know, and that person, and I've seen so many people come and go, so many studio kind of people who just, you know, I think you have to um, treat people with respect, but you also have to just stand your ground because it, if you're like me and I think Mindy, it means everything to you. It may not mean everything to them. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'll die for this project. That's how I feel. And I feel I'm going to die in every movie. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, and you can't always get your way when you're young and you don't have any power, you know. But just keep fighting and just hang in there, really. And just keep repeating it if you have to. And keep explaining it. And put it in an email. Send somebody a letter. Figure out how you want to say it. But just don't give up because... Once you give it up, you're not going to get back. Um, That's very nice. To learn to <laughs> Who would you both say are your mentors in the industry? I didn't hear you say. Who would you both say are your mentors in the industry? Well, people I don't know have mentored me. You know, people have made great movies that I've never met. The great filmmakers that came before whose work I've, I've studied. I, I know early in my career I retyped the apartment <laughs> um, because I thought, you know, seeing it and reading it wasn't enough. So I, I was actually on a typewriter at the time. No, maybe it was an early computer. Um, so tons of people have helped me. For me, my mentors are probably Greg Daniels, who hired me on The Office. Um, and I came from off office.
truth is when I came up to do this in comedy in 2004, they weren't there. And so um, it was like a sheepish energy that I have to say that it was to two white men. It's like, you know what? That was the truth, and that's why I'm here, because um, they're often very good. What advice would you give to young aspiring producers, specifically women? Well, I think really think about why you want to do it. Uh, it's, if you want to make films, then um, as a producer you have to find material, and then you have to believe in the material, and not be willing to change it because somebody who wants to give you money would rather it be this or that, you know, and get to your guns. Um, be loyal to the material and the director. And my advice is that question that Mindy got asked is a great question for anybody to ask in any job. How can I do it better? See what the director needs. And you're serving the movie. Like I said before, that's your job. You're serving the movie. You're not serving yourself. You're serving the movie. And do what it takes. Think about it all the time. And think ahead. Think ahead. That's the great producer's job is to figure out in two weeks from now when we're going to, I see now that's going to be, no, that person is invaluable. Because when your director's in the thick of it, they can't always do that because they have tomorrow on their mind. Always tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. What you have to do tomorrow. I think uh, the only advice I would give to a young producer, particularly women, is that, or young producers, uh, you know, men and women. I forgot it was a woman. I mean, anybody. Like, <laughs> mine is that I think that producing can be such an, um, an amorphous thing, right? Anyone can say they're producing a project. And mm -hmm. I think there can be a time when uh, ego can be, like credit is, is very important and that you have to balance where you don't want to get taken advantage of, but you also don't want to be the person where the credit is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Because starting out more often than not, you will get treated unfairly, even though you're working your ass off. And I think, um, making sure that every day you're going into it with the feeling of like, okay, I want to be of service and not of how do I get the credit because people will try to take that from the other way, but consistent hard work and good service will always make, I believe, will make it so that you will succeed no matter what. Great, thank you. Uh, this one's for Mindy. Mindy, you've hit so many hot topics, social issues in late night without being preachy. How have you managed to do that? Uh, well, thank you. I think that I really just wrote from what my experience was coming up in the business. And like I said, uh, my experience as the diversity hire on the office is kind of inherently uh, a juicy thing now, I think, politically. <laughs> and it was my actual experience. So I just, I stuck to that. And I, as I said earlier, like I am not interested in seeing a movie that is trying to preach at me or comes from a place that I think is angry. I think that's a different kind of film. And, you know, this is what let it well known. You're so much more likely to change your mind or think in a more broader way if you are locked in and entertained. So that's, I think, by design, that's a lot of, that's the way that I wrote the movie. That's smart. That's so good. Yeah. Great. And this one's for Nancy. Nancy, what's the secret in building characters we love in romantic comedies? <laughs> I don't know. try to write people uh, that I understand that's mm -hmm. I wouldn't write something I didn't get or didn't understand their where they're coming from what they mean mm -hmm. what they want uh, I think they're humorous which gets like Mindy said you can really get by with a lot of stuff if it's funny um, I want to show where they're vulnerable always because mm -hmm. that interests me almost the most um, and, you know, people say things about my movies, like we said before, that they're aspirational or whatever, but I, or whatever, but I don't think any of that matters. The example you gave of Meryl in her empty house, and the kids have all left, and it's an empty nest. It doesn't matter if you live in that pretty house, or you live in your one two-bedroom apartment, so it doesn't matter. That's a universal experience. I try to write things that I, I had a woman come up to me once, I was on vacation at Martha's Vineyard, and she, I was sitting at a counter with a friend, 
and she grabbed her seat next to me and she said, how did you know my life? Because <laughs> 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 it's my life. I get it. I get it. I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to, to, to that, you know, and I do try to write things I know about, um, which is why, you know, I'm not going to be making a horror film. <laughs> What moment in your career are you the most proud of? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> like a moment. Oh. Well, it's a question from the audience. Tell me what <laughs> So, who said it? Continue to challenge yourselves as both creatives and producers. I'm not challenging myself at the moment. <laughs> are, you, are you not writing something right now? I'm not. I'm not taking a break. How long have you not been writing something? Long time. Long time. Yeah. And will you? Yeah. So do you? If you have an idea, you're like, okay, I need to write this, and that's what you no. know to do it. No, I'm just. You know, the business has changed in a way that is somewhat unrecognizable to me. I'm not sure how much I want to do it. But I don't know. I'm conflicted. Um, I wish you were not. I will not start writing because you can't, once you start, you're in. I want to force you to write. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am challenging myself, by the way. This is very challenging. Yeah. It's very not challenging. Yeah, but I you know, know, at my age, to not do what you've done yeah. sort of. 20, hello, hello, 20 years old. It's very, this is, yeah, so I am. That's just how I'm challenging myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not working. Um, yeah, I want to urge you to stop doing that. That's me, sucks. I always, I sort of thought, oh, there must be something in the pipeline I have to produce. Home again, but you're working on something, so now I have to test. Um, <laughs> Um, I forgot, what was the question again? It was that, how do you continue to challenge yourself? How do I continue? Well, you know, unfortunately, the challenges just keep coming. <laughs> They're just there all the time. You know, I find that I, uh, and, and I used to really resent feeling that I would have to carry the mantle of all minority women showrunners in comedy, and now um, it's happening less and less because there's so many incredibly talented women who are now coming outside. Uh, there are challenges. 
challenges. There are challenges to get movies made. Mm -hmm. uh, it is challenges to get um, women of color as stars in shows, even if they have a track record. I mean, I deal with this every day. And um, so those are the challenges. Those 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 exist already. And um, can I ask you a question? Sure. Oh, sorry. No, that's it. What was the four women to the funeral TV show? Was it that? That was uh, so. I was approached about doing an adaptation, a miniseries adaptation of his movie, which I think Richard Curtis's movie, uh, which I believe is a, a perfect movie oh, so with the best cast. Mm -hmm. And at first, I thought, why would I ever do this? This uh, who approached this, you? Uh, MGM. Mm -hmm. They own the movie. They own the movie. Okay. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know. If I was going to do this, because I love the world, I love the world of, of the movie, which you know makes you fall in love with London, and it's about uh, about friendship, and that part of the movie I really did, I really did love, and I thought if I could do this in a way where I wouldn't have a lot of comparisons to the original first material, which I, I, as I said is perfect, I, we did that with The Office, and that first season was really uphill battle, and if I did it in a way where it was really through the lens of Mindy Kaling, uh, then I, I would think that would be an interesting project. And so we did that. So the leads are an African-American woman and a British-Pakistani man. And the cast is half British, half American. And I love it. And it's very so different. So does it formatted about weddings, the way the movie there's, was? And there's ten episodes, and there's four weddings and one funeral over the course of the ten oh, episodes. Wow. And we shot in London. And I also knew that I it would have to shoot in London, not Toronto. I'm so stupid. I don't know why I keep doing this. We <laughs> <laughs> shot it in London, so I moved there with my baby. And it was one of the hardest things. We shot in London in the winter, so there was three or four hours of daylight, which was which was which is stupid to do. Um, and the holiday, I think you're talking about another great movie. Because it was so beautiful and it was a great it was a great filmmaking experience. Um, so uh, that was has challenges, and we'll see if and people are in end of July. And where? On Hulu. Thank you for asking about that. Um, can each of you please share an early experience you both have had with casting, either from the producing or maybe an, as an actress? An experience about casting. What about uh, casting? Who else has? Griffin. Can you say what you mean? Casting as an actress experience as an actress or your experience as a producer, just anything that maybe you'd like uh, like to share with us that perhaps changed your mind about uh, the idea of casting. Anything in general about casting? I've I've noticed in writing uh, that you know as an as a writer as a big ego, where when I'm thinking of a project, it's written a certain way, and then we go into casting, and there'll be a performer that comes in who does it completely differently, and what the backstory for the character I worked does not work at all anymore, <laughs> and it irritates me because they're so good that I have to go back and do the hard work of changing it because I love this character to do that. We see that in TV time and time again, and um, in the in the movie as well, you know, and there was the John Lithgow is in the movie, and the he's character... So good. He's brilliant. He's brilliant in the movie, brilliant. and I had pictured someone so completely different, and um, someone 20 years older, and um, just... And he came, he didn't audition for it, clearly, but when they said that he might be interested, because he liked the script, I had this very bittersweet feeling of, wow, that's incredible if he would do it, and then, oh God, now I have to rewrite it, because it's yeah. for him. But I find that as a writer casting, um, I'm constantly surprised, and I and I love actors so much. I love comedic actors. The movie is filled with people, you know, they're so rare, the actors who can do both, like Emma Thompson, uh, John Lithgow, you know, he, he came from Third Rock from the Sun, but also plays Winston Churchill on The Crown. Mm -hmm. So I build a movie with people like that and Amy Ryan. So I, those are, that's the kind of, those are the kind of actors that I like to hire and um, the kind of cast I like to put together. Um, it's a great cast. I mean, it really, 
and the guys in the writing room are great. I love those things. I've never been in the writing room, so I found them really hilarious. I like them a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think of the cast. I, I think the most unique casting experience I had was um, in the interim. Uh, I had written the uh, chief financial officer of her company as a woman because I wanted that. I just wanted two women running a company. I thought that was, I just wanted to see that. And everybody I read reminded me of Anne Hathaway. Mm. I don't know if they were doing that. I don't know. It just felt like it was Anne Hathaway twice. Um, so Andrew Reynolds came, Reynolds, I always say his name wrong, came in. Do you know Andrew? Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So great. So he came in for one of the interns and clearly was not right. He, <laughs> too sophisticated, immature, and all wrong. And the casting director said, can he read so-and-so's part? I forget what she was called. And it was just such a great idea. I, I just, I just, I wanted to hear it. I just wanted to hear it have him do it. And he said, you want me to read this woman's part? <laughs> <laughs> he said, do you mind? He's not written as a woman. He's written as a person. He said, read it. And he did it. And I cast him. And uh, although I gave up on two women running the company, I tried. I tried really hard. I just couldn't find what I, I don't know. Something about it wasn't right. So that was interesting and great for me because I'm not that flexible mm -hmm. as human beings. <laughs> so that was really interesting. <laughs> Um, for each of you, what would people be surprised to know about you? When I am not doing this kind of thing or promoting a movie, I really like my home to be like a quiet cathedral of silence. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a baby. But I find that on the weekend or in the evenings, there are going to be many hours that go by where I am not talking. And I think that's because my job is so social. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty curious. I think is is another thing. I um, I'm, yeah. That I think I think that's probably surprising. I also this might be surprising to people. I I love um, I love murder shows and true crime. <laughs> I'm very similar. I I like quiet house and I like to be quiet. And when the phone rings, I literally look at it like it's my enemy. <laughs> and when I hear the ping of a text, I just want to throw the thing across the room. So I. Yep. Also, I think <laughs> my mind is busy, and I just need to quiet, calm me down. And lately, I've been meditating the last few years. Keith has Chopra online. We'll start with Oprah. Anybody else do these? Yeah. Yes. Yes. First, you have Oprah. There's yep. nothing that calms you down like that voice. <laughs> he hits you with some oddly every time words of wisdom, and then he comes on, and he's like a dream. Yes. He sounds like a dream to me. I love that. I love meditating with those two. And I met Oprah last summer. You know her. But I was like, I was like bowing down as she walked by me at the party. And I told her that I meditated with her. And she, she, was, just, she was so sweet about me. She said, thank you so much. I'm sure I'm the one billionth person. <laughs> they put out a new one every other day. Anyway, not fascinating thing. <laughs> someone who wants to step into producing from directing? Step into producing from... I did yeah, that. Well, I was okay. that, I, that yes, I've directed, and then I produced the movie. Take everything you know with you, because mm -hmm. you'll help so many people. Especially on these indie movies, which have a lot of people that don't have a lot of experience, or older people that aren't being hired anymore. I found that on Hallie's movie. Mm -hmm. our, our crew was uh, 60 and up, and then kids that were brand new. So having directed, um, you know so much. You know so much about how to make a movie. It's a great thing to offer in your sort of story, sort of tutorial role to advise how to get what you need. And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening to Bloom and Tech. This has been a conversation from the Produced By Conference in June of 2019 between Mindy Kaling and Nancy Myers, both writer, director, producer, uh, et cetera, et cetera, at the highest levels in Hollywood. The conference uh, ran for another half a day after that, and uh, I will have also some more stuff from another conversation, and then we'll also get a bunch of cool stuff out of E3 this week. I've been uh, very busy with conferences this last six weeks, and it's been wearing me out.
If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and share the podcast so others can discover it too. If you really like the podcast, I'd love for you to be a supporter. It's pretty easy to do through the site anchor.fm that hosts and syndicates out my programming across 10 different platforms. You can chip in a few bucks to help keep the wheels turning over here. And if you'd like to send me a message, uh, a voice message, an audio message, Anchor makes that easy too, and I think installs that on any place that you can see this podcast and listen to it. So give me a holler if you uh, have any thoughts about Nancy and Mindy or women in Hollywood and their roles and opportunities. would love to hear from you there or otherwise. You can also send me a text on Twitter at David Bloom or follow me on LinkedIn at David L. Bloom. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great day and I hope that you've enjoyed the show and we'll be back soon. This is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Thank you.